Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. It's an emotional day for a Vancouver family whose loved ones were kidnapped by Hamas and held hostage. After hearing nothing for more than two weeks, today, a huge relief. Our Cassidy Moscone was there when worry turned to joy. From anticipation. People just, my, my ex-husband, my, my friend, they just called me. They said that my aunt was released. To elation. Oh my God. I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. They were my, my aunt. A Vancouver woman gets the news her Israeli aunt has been released from Hamas capture. It's okay, let's go. It's okay, let's go. Yes. Into the safe hands of the Red Cross in Egypt. Just minutes earlier, Ruti Mizrahi didn't know if her aunt was dead or alive. We know basically nothing. We don't know if they're alive even. We don't know if they're hurt. My uncle, um, my aunt... 85-year-old Joke Lifshitz and her 83-year-old husband Oded hadn't been seen in more than two weeks since Hamas crossed the border into Israel. They disappeared. Uh, their home was burned to the ground. Um, nothing left. Ruti invited our cameras into her home to raise awareness about what's happening in her home country, what's happening to her family when she got the unbelievable news. It's true. Oh my God. Her family members in Israel also overwhelmed. Ruti's uncle Oded is still missing. He's a peacekeeper. The pair had dedicated their lives to helping all people on the Gaza Strip, to helping humanity. He used to drive uh, to the border and uh, pick up Palestinian citizens and civilians and that they needed uh, any kind of medical treatments and that they get in Israel. Everything was, uh, he was a volunteer. It never got anything for it. The early childhood educator not losing hope for a second miracle. I, I have to. That's the only thing that I have left right now, you know. I'm preparing myself for the worst, of course, but I have to, to keep you know, optimistic and keep hope that they will come back. And Cassidy is here live in the studio with more. And Cassidy, you have an update on Yoke's condition. Yes, Sophie, I've just spoken with the family. They tell me Yoke is back home on Israeli soil. Here's a picture of the 85-year-old reunited with her family after what would have been a terrifying two weeks apart. They tell me she's in good spirits and will undergo more testing in hospital in the morning. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right, uh, lots of uh, reason to, to celebrate tonight for that family, Cassidy. Thank you.
Well, despite that gesture of goodwill, Israeli forces continue to carry out a barrage of air attacks on what it says are key targets in Gaza. The Palestinian Health Ministry says the explosions killed 436 people, including dozens of children. Reggie Cicchini has the latest. From the air, these are the precision strikes being carried out by the IDF in a campaign to eliminate the threats from a militant group. These raids kill squads of terrorists preparing for the next stage in the war, they say. But on the ground, the sheer level of destruction is enormous. So too is the toll on civilians. The situation in hospital remains dire given the shortage of electricity, medicine, equipment and specialized personnel. Aid trucks are slowly entering Gaza, dozens in a few days, but far short of the 450 or more that used to drive in on a daily basis. It's not nearly enough and is generating concern far beyond these borders. We have to act according to international law, according to humanitarian law. But for Israel, this is a matter of life and death, seeking to end the ability for Hamas to carry out another attack on its people. It's a, a battle against civilization. It's civilization against barbarism. We're in the size of civilization. The Israeli military remains at the ready, but its closest ally is attempting to build an off-ramp, if only temporary. We give them our best advice. It really is focused on uh, both how they do it and how best to achieve the results that they seek. Part of the U.S. concern is a safety for hostages. Two more were released to the Red Cross on Monday, which is a priority for the U.S. But there's also the threat of a regional war, and a delay would give the U.S. more time to prepare. And Israel's former ambassador to the U.S. believes the country has sway in the region. They are the senior ally. When they ask for something, even in nice diplomatic language, a message is well received. But amid escalating tensions in the north and south, there's a delicate balance in calculating the next step. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. An explosion in Langley over the weekend has turned into a murder investigation. RCMP responded to an explosion at a rural property on 8th Avenue near 240th Street in Langley, just north of the U.S. border at around 2 p.m. Sunday. An outbuilding was on fire. Fire crews later found human remains inside. IHIT is now working with the BC Coroner Service to investigate the suspicious death. We'll be working with our forensic experts as well as the arson unit uh, with the Langley RCMP to determine exactly what caused this. Uh, at this point, it's still far too early to determine if it was uh, what caused the explosion. Investigators will be in the area for the next few days and are asking anyone with information on the incident to call the IHIT information line. To breaking news now and a vessel in distress off Spanish banks. The Rescue Coordination Center jumped into action late this afternoon when they received an emergency call. And our Travis Prasad is live with more on this. Travis, I know the details are just coming in. What are you learning so far? Yeah, Chris, we're at Spanish Banks right now where for the past several hours there's been a flurry of activity with the Coast Guard moving back and forth through the waters here. The Coast Guard hovercraft is on scene along with three or four other smaller Coast Guard boats. They've been slowly making their way through the waters of Point Grey and Wreck Beach. The Coast Guard helicopter is also circling the area. 
Details at this point are limited, but here's what we know so far. The Joint Rescue Coordination Center says it received a distress call from a vessel at 1.30 this afternoon. That's what the Coast Guard boats and helicopter are responding to. The JRCC is not releasing a description of the vessel at this time, so we don't know what it is or how many people are on board, but we also know that University RCMP received a call of a body washing ashore around 2.45 in the afternoon, so that's just over an hour after that distress call from the vessel came in. Police also telling us that somebody needed first aid treatment. We don't know if any of that is connected to the distress call. Uh, all of that is yet to be confirmed, but we will be following this and we'll bring you the latest as it develops. Chris. Disturbing for sure. Okay, thanks very much, Travis. Well, the Bank of Canada is expected to hold its key lending rate at 5%, but borrowers are increasingly nervous about their ability to make their mortgage payments. As Aaron MacArthur reports, a growing number are worried about what will happen when their current fixed-rate mortgage is up for renewal. Stressed out, losing sleep at their wit's end. A new poll offering a glimpse into people's financial future. Over the last two years, Canadians paying mortgages have seen their costs skyrocket. According to a new survey from Angus Reid, affordability is now the number one issue for people. The cost of owning a home sitting on top of every other inflationary pressure they face. They're having a tough time and they're kind of expecting um, for things to get more difficult rather than easier. According to the survey, 45% say it's tough or very difficult to handle their current mortgage payment, a number that has increased significantly over the course of the last year. And we watched it, you know, June 2022, 7% of mortgage holders said that uh, they were having a very difficult time and it held for the next six months. It was just 8% in March, but now we see 11% in June, 15% in October. There are fears it will get worse. Four in five worried about what their costs will be when they're forced to refinance. As that refinancing date gets closer, Angus Reid says people's anxiety just gets higher. Mortgage brokers, though, say banks right now are being ultra-conservative and deals are hard to come by. You know, the banks are, are trying to do what they can, but um, uh, to make it easier, I think, but I think they still are worried as well with all the foreclosures that could happen. Stressed out homeowners hoping the Bank of Canada does hold steady on interest rates this week and avoiding adding hundreds of dollars a month to variable rate mortgages. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The view of the skyline in most B.C. cities tells the story. There are cranes everywhere. Construction is booming in this province. But as Richard Zussman reports, despite the breakneck pace of building, the industry is warning an ongoing labor shortage and antiquated regulations could cause a devastating slowdown. With each blow of the hammer, much-needed housing is one step closer. But it's also one day closer to retirement for those doing the work. We're in a perpetual shortage of workforce, and that's going to stay that way. The demand for housing is up, but so are the costs. Materials more expensive, and so is labour. Over the past few months, the sector has lost 14,500 workers, a nearly 6% decline. And the Contractors Association estimates 6,000 construction jobs will be unfilled due to labour shortages over the next decade. We need more people to... to 
in order to complete the work that we have in British Columbia. The BC government has been trying to attract and retain more workers, including the expansion of on-site training programs. We've seen an 8% overall increase for apprentices to 41,000 apprentices this year, which is more than we've ever had, and we're on track for this year for 46,000 apprentices. But for most municipalities, it isn't enough. Seashelt Mayor John Henderson says every community is looking for workers. We have a real problem. We, we have everybody that's working uh, has all the jobs that can handle for the next couple of years. Another concern from some in the construction sector, prompt payment legislation. It doesn't exist here. It does in other places, but not everyone in BC agrees. We have contractors uh, throughout uh, British Columbia who may not be being paid for work that they've done. Uh, for 90 to 120 days, sometimes even 270 days. Our concern with prompt payment is the level of administrative burden that comes with dictating the payment terms for an owner to a contractor and then the subcontractors after, and the amount of government resources and time that will be dedicated to implementing this system. But all organizations are hammering home the same point. More workers are needed. Richard Zuspin, Global News, Victoria. The city of Penticton says it's analyzing the potential impact on its tourism industry and its residents of the new short-term rental rules announced by the province. Penticton is the only South Okanagan community that will be affected by the new regulations. Debbie Wielden and her husband Dale own a short-term rental called Grandma's Elephant Hideaway, which they might have to shut down under the new rules. We bought it for the basically for the purpose to retire in here. So it's a small building, there's eight units, and everybody gets along. Everybody loves the short-term rentals. It's hard. <laughs> like, it's, haven't even really totally processed the feeling of how it, how it is gonna affect us. It's a lot of people that want to come and visit, which is great, but you know, when regulations like this fall into place, um, you know, it's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all for the entire province. You know, we are, we are, Penticton is different from a lot of, lot of other cities in, in as much that we have, you know, a high tourist population. Penticton has about 400 registered short-term rentals, which play a major role in the local tourism industry. Dozens of female police officers have reached out to potentially join a proposed class action lawsuit alleging gender-based harassment. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, Vancouver's top cop is weighing in on a possible new agency to deal with harassment in the workplace. On October 12th, six current and former women police officers announced a proposed class action lawsuit for discrimination and harassment based on gender. Since then, the law firm representing those women has been inundated with inquiries. More than 60 female officers have added their names to a confidential information website created for the lawsuit. In the last 10 days, we've had an incredible outpouring of support from you know other women, from other police officers. The women made numerous allegations in their suit against the 13 cities with municipal police agencies, along with the Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner and BC Solicitor General and Public Safety Minister. 
one officer, who can't be identified due to a publication ban, was sexually assaulted by a member of the Vancouver Police Department. She says the Police Act is failing them. There is no capture in the Police Act for when an officer puts their hand up and says, I'm actually a victim at the hands of another officer. Do you think war should be done to protect female officers? We don't condone it. We have good policies in place. Um, we're the biggest police department in the province, so as far as the numbers go, you would expect Vancouver would have more than the smaller departments. BC Solicitor General and Public Safety Minister is promising changes to the Police Act. The idea of a separate uh, office or independent officer uh, to be able to take harassment uh, issues to or cases, I think has some merit. Vancouver's top cop says agencies already exist to deal with complaints. We've got the Office of the Police Complaints Commissioner, we have the IIO, we have the police boards in place. The women officers say the current system isn't working for them. Yes, the agency's there, but it doesn't, it doesn't help us. It's designed to keep us quiet. The path forward requires change, say the officers, something they're hoping to accomplish with their proposed class action lawsuit. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Some frustration today from the Premier when asked about the ongoing saga involving police in Surrey. Keith Baldry joins us with more on this. And Keith, David Eby was asked about the lack of action and implementation he had a pretty clear mm -hmm. message for Mayor Locke there. I think it's fair to say the Premier and his cabinet are getting exasperated by what's going on in Syria. You call it the ongoing police saga, for sure. Others call it a soap opera. In any event, we sort of seem to hit a moment of paralysis. Last week, the Premier offered a bit of a conciliatory tone when he addressed this issue, saying he understood Syria had concerns and he wanted to meet with Mayor Brenda Locke and such. Today, though, in case there was any doubt about Victoria putting more money on the table over and above the $150 million currently on the table, a flat no from the Premier, here he is in very blunt terms. There's no more money. There is no more money. There's $150 million on the table Surrey hasn't taken us up on. They have a surplus in their policing budget. They have a surplus overall. There is no more money. Uh, and, and having a shadow boxing discussion about money on line items that we don't have awareness of, we don't know what the mayor's talking about when she says that there's more costs, like, it's, it's just impossible. So that's about as frustrated uh, Premier I've heard for some time from David Eby. He doesn't usually talk that way, but very blunt in his assessment. In any event, if Surrey's hoping that the bill that establishes the process to ensure they go to the Surrey Police Services would somehow die in the House or something like that, I can tell them this just passed committee stage in the House just moments ago or less than an hour ago. It's now going to go to third reading. It will become law before the end of this session next month. So the clock is ticking here. You heard the Premier say no more money to, for Surrey over and above the $150 million. But again, we'll see what Surrey's next move is. We're not sure exactly what they're going to do next. We thought they were out of options a long time ago, and here we are. <laughs> Keith, we thanks. Are. Bullet holes in buildings, disturbing damage to a commercial vehicle inspection station along Highway 1, and allegations of other threatening incidents, too. That's next on the News Hour. A poor Coquillum homeowner taking Halloween to the next level coming up later on the news hour. Also tonight, a stunning satellite image from NASA showing the extent of wildfire damage in Canada. That's coming up. Right now, though, police are investigating after a pair of commercial vehicle inspection stations were riddled with bullets over the weekend. The incident raises questions about inspector safety. 
who often work alone with no backup if something goes wrong. Janet Brown reports. At these way scales on Highway 1, heading east at Laidlaw just before Hope, bullet holes in windows, four in total. On the other side of the highway, heading westbound at Hunter Creek Way Scales, we found what appears to be one bullet hole in this sign. These aren't the first incidents involving commercial vehicle safety and enforcement. These photos from sources show a shot-up CVSE vehicle at the Hunter Creek Way Scales. The same source says there was also an unmarked vehicle in the interior that had its tires removed last week. On the island, Port Alberni RCMP say a warrant is out for the arrest of Ryan Kevin Stonehouse, charged with pointing a gun at a CVSE officer earlier this year. Every working person deserves to come home at the end of the shift safe and healthy. The union representing commercial vehicle safety and enforcement officers says, like many other law enforcement agencies, they're seeing an uptick of aggressive behaviors against their members. We're calling on the employer to do what they need to do to keep our members and these officers safe. The transportation minister says there is an active RCMP investigation underway. It is absolutely appalling that any officer would be uh, threatened uh, in a way that suggests you know, a high degree of uh, violence and intimidation. That is a crime. CVSE officers are unarmed and there are concerns their radios have a very limited range. Safety concerns are uh, you know, first and foremost important to both the union and the employer and we'll have those discussions. We didn't hear back from the RCMP by our deadline about any possible arrests or suspects in these cases, but until then, CVSE officers will surely be looking over their shoulders doing their job. Janet Brown, Global News. Up next, a warm welcome for students at their temporary school. I'm super grateful for all the schools that helped us. A lesson in resilience after their own school burned down. Lots of extra traffic here northbound at the Alex Fraser Bridge after finally clearing a police incident that was here all afternoon. Kermac, contact Kermac for expert windshield repair and placement services while supporting Kermac Cares for Kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services and that's no accident. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Alex Fraser Bridge. After their school was destroyed by fire, hundreds of students in the Tri-Cities were given a fresh start today. Students lined up to give them a warm welcome at the temporary location they will be attending while their former school, Hazel Trembath Elementary, is rebuilt. Grace Key reports. It was a welcome celebration these kids won't soon forget. Students from neighboring schools came out to greet Hazel Trembath Elementary to their new community, letting them know everyone, including stormtroopers, are rooting for them. I'm just really excited and nervous, and I'm super grateful for all the schools that helped us and donated stuff, and that's just really amazing. Even Maya said after the, the first day when the school burned down, that she's very grateful how uh, she feels already a lot closer to her friends. She felt the love of her teachers. Port Coquitlam's Hazel Trimbath Elementary was destroyed in a suspicious fire more than a week ago. Students reflected on what they'll miss most about their old school. All my like school supplies and all my drawings and my desk. 
yeah. all the drawings that we have on the walls and stuff, all the pictures that we have for like our basketball team, volleyball team. It was really fun playing grounders because it was the perfect height. And it was just really fun. And there's three playgrounds, so you didn't have to just play on one. Once Winslow Center was picked as the new location, getting it ready for 215K to grade five students in a matter of days was a monumental task. Our crews have been working around the clock uh, to get this facility ready. Everything's been painted. Uh, plumbing had to be done, like all the sinks had to be lowered in the bathrooms uh, because it used to be used as a high school. Uh, so now, of course, the, the elementary students are a little shorter. Um, all the classrooms have been prepared. Uh, the shelves are full. The library's full. Everything's ready to go for our kids. Parents are thankful the district was able to keep the students together after such a tragic event. It's going to be challenging. It's going to take a lot of time to get back to where it was to build all those memories again but as a community I think we can really do it and we're just rising up together. For now the students will be at Winslow Center at least until Christmas as the district continues to evaluate other options. Grace Key, Global News. Well, it might feel a bit early to be talking about snow, but the first snowfall of the season is expected this week. Senior meteorologist Christy Gar Gordon joins us with the details, where is it expected, Christy? Well, Sophie, so first Arctic front of the season, it might seem early, but it is a regulation to have snow tires as of October 1st because we have the potential for snowfall. Now, for tonight, the hardest hit region will be the Columbia region, as well as the East Kootenai area. Five to 10 centimeters of snow tonight into tomorrow morning. We're also expecting very spotty snowfall overnight for the Connector, the Coquihalla, as well as Allison Pass. And some areas may not see any, but other areas could see rapidly accumulating snow, five to 10 centimeters. And You'll note a little bit of action across the south coast. That's not necessarily for tonight, but when I come back, we'll show you which areas could see it as we head into tomorrow. And we've got more widespread snow on the way for the Okanagan, uh, sorry, the southern interior mountain passes. So I'll show you the timeline of that when I come back. So back to you. All right. Thanks, Christy. Just ahead, detox delayed. Our goal is to have this project under construction this fall. That's what the minister said back in March. So why are there still no signs of construction where a new treatment centre is supposed to be built? We'll look into it. But first, how it's going to get easier for internationally trained professionals to find work in B.C. Here we are at the Massey Tunnel where it's still a little bit busy here because everyone was avoiding the problems over at the Alex Fraser Bridge earlier. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert care for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services. Choose the best. I'm Trish Wilson in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Well, the B.C. government is unveiling new legislation to speed up the process and cut the red tape for foreign trained professionals so they can get certified and start working. As Kylie Stan reports, the new rules are expected to go into effect next summer and they'll apply to professionals in 29 different fields. The jobs can be demanding, but for internationally skilled professionals who move to BC, hoping to work in their field, it's even harder 
to get started. It took me a year. If the recognition process could be more fair, I would feel much better. Introductions by members. Now, a new legislation aims to do just that. I am pleased to introduce the International Credential Recognition Act. The province introduced the bill Monday, requiring regulatory bodies to remove unfair barriers in 29 professions. From veterinarians and paramedics to social workers and engineers and teachers. The goal is to make it quicker and easier to accredit those qualified professionals and get them into the workforce. With the skills shortages we have in the province, we cannot leave people with experience and talents on the sidelines. We need them to get to work. The legislation removes annual language testing, sets caps for maximum processing times, and eliminates the Canadian work experience requirement. Which is a catch-22. How do you get Canadian work experience if you're not allowed to work in Canada in the field where you have experience. This builds on changes made for internationally trained healthcare professionals that got doctors and nurses educated outside of Canada on the front lines more quickly. And we're taking some of those learnings from the healthcare work that we did to all of the other professions. But with more than one million job openings expected over the next decade, and at least one third of those projected to be filled by newcomers, there are calls to take the program even further. Yes, I would love to see, you know, dentists, counselors as well. This can be expanded to many professions, and I believe this is just the start. The new rules are expected to go into effect next summer. By then, Wong, who is finally on the other side of the ordeal, plans to be well into her new role. I'm going to start my first ever social worker job here, and it's my first working day tomorrow indeed. Kelly Stanton, Global News. Well, it was a huge step forward, build that way, in addressing the double-barreled crisis of drug overdoses and affordable housing. But more than four years after a detox and social housing facility was approved by Vancouver City Council, it hasn't even broken ground yet. Kristen Robinson reports. Almost 13,000 people have died from toxic drugs since BC's public health emergency was declared in April 2016. Those on the downtown east side know how dire the situation is. This is a crisis. I tell my siblings I live in the eye of the needle. Several blocks east, construction has yet to start on a massive detox and social housing facility approved by Vancouver Council in February 2019. The project on East First Avenue between Clark and McLean Drives is touted as the largest of its kind in B.C., with 97 affordable rental units and a withdrawal management centre with 51 inpatient treatment beds. It would make a huge impact on the overdose crisis. There's a list of 200-plus people always waiting to get into detox and recovery. The Overdose Prevention Society says having a place for people to go after detox would be a game-changer. I would try it. I'd try anything. We need beds. We need a program in place because once you're out on the street, uh, we don't have anywhere to go. There is no other facility like that here that I know of that has that many beds. It's unbelievably needed. I've been in a shelter for four years waiting for housing. The City of Vancouver understands how important this project is. I do think we're going to get this project up and running under construction this fall. That was March when BC Housing said it was still waiting on building permits. Seven months later, the site remains unchanged. The province says it understands BC Housing and the City of Vancouver 
are working out permitting issues as a result of bylaw changes. So we're, um, you know, really, uh, really anticipating uh, very, very shortly that we will hear news about uh, about the uh, about the permits being issued. It would just take care of a lot of uh, the tumbleweeds, I call them, the people that are like, you know, in contorted uh, positions with tinfoil in one hand and a headstand in the other. Stakeholders say governments need to get past the bureaucracy because people are dying. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Coming up, Ford Coquitlam's House of Horrors. The kids come to get scared and they're never disappointed. That's still to come tonight. And in sports, witnessing history where you'll be able to catch Christine Sinclair's final games before she hangs up the cleats for good. From protecting small business gems to outing big business bullies, if it matters to consumers, it matters to investigative reporter Andrua. Consumer Matters with Andrua on Global News. Well, we're getting a very interesting perspective today about Canada's record-breaking wildfire season, and we're getting it from NASA. Yes, NASA's uh, real-time modeling shows a time-lapse from May 4th to October 10th. A record 18.5 million hectares was torched. That's about 5% of our forests. In B.C., 2.8 million hectares burned, 2.3 million of them in the Prince George Fire Centre which includes the Peace Region. Across Canada, about 200,000 people were evacuated due to wildfires this fire season. You hope that's as bad as it ever gets, but uh, the reality might be different. Uh, let's hope not. It's been nice to get some rain lately and cooler weather. Uh, here's mm -hmm. Christy now with a look at what's coming up in the forecast. We're still talking about drought, keep in mind, but uh, we don't want that real sort of drop into winter light temperatures and have the ground freeze before we get more moisture into the ground. We're not totally there yet, but we do have an Arctic blast. Thankfully, it will be short-lived. Here's a look. So we're expecting snowfall overnight for the Columbia, Kootenai region, 5 to 10 centimeters of snow. Meanwhile, the Okanagan Connector, the uh, Coquihalla, as well as Allison Pass, spotty snowfall expected there overnight tonight. Possibility of 5 to to 10 centimeters of snow and then the potential for snow again later tomorrow. Meanwhile, we've got a wind warning for the Howe Sound region. This is outflow winds and the potential for some wet snow across the spine of Vancouver Island, Port Alberni, for example. Heavy rain, though, along the east coast. So there's a lot going on. Here's a look. This Arctic front is moving very slowly. We're going to see the temperatures drop a good 5 to 10 degrees below seasonal for this time of year. There's the snowfall for the region overnight. You can see that Arctic air shifting in. A pulse of moisture, though, from the west, and that's going to bring more widespread snow to the Okanagan region as we head into uh, tomorrow night. So that's particularly for higher elevations, but I wouldn't rule out some snowfall for lower elevation regions as well. Meanwhile, the south coast will see wet and windy conditions. So clear day across the northern regions, but a wind chill of minus 25 in Fort St. John. Wet snow possible in Kamloops, Kelowna, particularly we would see that over higher elevations. I have had some 
reports of some flakes falling in Kamloops already tonight. Wet snow possible tomorrow across areas like Highway 4 towards Port Alberni. And for our region, wet and windy tomorrow. We'll see a little bit of cloud Wednesday morning, but then sunshine by the afternoon. It is going to remain cool throughout the week, but we've got this Arctic Ridge that's going to shift in and that's going to clear things out. So wet and cold tomorrow, that's for sure. Tonight's center windows weather window coming to you from Fort St. John, where uh. Marina uh, sent us this. This is her little guy, and she said, I don't think it was that happy of the first <laughs> snowfall of the season. But I have to point out, there are some toys out there, so it couldn't have been all that bad. I don't know. That's my face when it snows here. <laughs> 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 all right, thanks, Christy. Oh, hope it improved from there. Well, we have an update for you on Variety Week, which wrapped up last Friday. Of course, year after year, you have rallied to help kids across B.C. who have disabilities and complex health needs. Yes, we want to thank you, our viewers, our incredible community, all the donors who helped us raise $1.77 million for Variety, which means they'll be able to help 635 kids. So thank you so much, B.C. So Variety Week itself is over now on Global BC, but you can still give. Your support is critical year-round. So we accept your donations year-round as well. Go online to variety.bc.ca and help Variety help kids when they need it most. Thank you. Yeah, big thanks to all the families for sharing their stories too. It makes a big mm -hmm. difference when you can yeah. connect with them in that way. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I don't. I think we've been partnered with Variety for I don't know how many decades now, but many. At least five decades? Back to decades? the 60s, I think. Yeah. yeah. Back to the 60s. Since, yeah. yeah. It's 60s. been a while. Mm -hmm. All right, Squires Long here. Long before we were born. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's I mean, right. Way all before. of us. All, all of us. Yes. Yeah. We were just a glimmer in our parents' eyes. I'm not even sure of that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have for us? Well, uh, we now know exactly when Christine St. Clair is going to play her final games for the Canadian national team. And as we heard last week, it's now official. Those final two games will be in her home province. Awesome. Also tonight. Enter if you dare. <laughs> the nightmare on Ray Street keeps them screaming in Port Coquitlam. All right, Squires here with the latest on Christine Sinclair's farewell tour. Yes, uh, the two games, the final two games that she will play for Canada will be in BC this December. And both of the games will be against Australia. That was the team that beat Canada at the World Cup this year 4 nothing. Now, the first game on the final two or of the final two will be in Langford, just outside of Victoria on December 1st. And the final game for Sinclair with Canada's national team will be, as it should be, at BC Place on December 5th. Not too far away from Burnaby. Uh, tickets will go on sale to the general public on October 30th. Of course, as we said, she is from the great city of Burnaby, where we are right now. And started playing for the national team at the age of 16. This will be the uh, final chances for her to add to the record for most international goals in soccer history. But... As was pointed out last week, she actually will play next year for her club team in Portland, Oregon. So this is just the end of her time with Canada's national team, but it does deserve a big send-off just the same. I want to talk about this because this is the Vancouver Whitecaps 
playoff matchup. LAFC, whom they tied on the weekend, 1-1. Uh, the first game will be down in Los Angeles. That's uh, this Saturday. Is that this Saturday, October 28th? Yes, yes. Then they come is. back for the game in Vancouver at BC Place, which will be November 5th. And then if they need a game three, it'll be back down in L.A. Should mention, if any of these games are tied, they don't go to overtime. They go right to penalty kicks. So if you don't win in regulation, you have to decide a game through the lottery. Well, the Vancouver Canucks did nothing today. I mean, literally nothing. No practices. I guess they got to sightsee. They got to rest up for the final game of the road trip, which comes tomorrow in Nashville. The win over Florida on Saturday erased the gloom of that uh, two-game losing streak. They will be home on Friday to play St. Louis. And how about Elias Pettersson? Already has 10 points in five games. If you go back to last year, he didn't get his 10th point until his 10th game. And he still finished with 102 points. So I guess he's on pace right now for 160. I don't think he'll get 160, but he is setting that kind of a torrid pace at the moment. I wanted to show you this from yesterday because I thought this was really cool. The Vancouver Giants honored referees by wearing referee uniforms in their game against Spokane. Using? Uh, well, here's the thing. The Giants won this game against Spokane. So Spokane has a built-in excuse now. They can say, we would have won the game, but we were beaten by the officials. I think that's great. 5-3 the final for the Giants. Seattle Seahawks are 4-2, and two, but people still aren't sure if they are as good as their record might suggest. Only one of the six teams they've played so far this season has a winning record. And yesterday, they were very good defensively, but their offense against Arizona was a bit erratic. It has been erratic of late. In many ways, just like their quarterback, Geno Smith, has been this year. Here's Smith, fires, touchdown! There is good Geno completing almost 69% of his passes. There is anything to win a game, Gino. And then there is red zone, red alert, Gino. When scoring chances have been squandered. It cost Seattle a game it should have won against the Bengals a week ago, and in some ways, nearly cost them against Arizona on Sunday. But the Seahawks' defense has been there to catch the offense when it falls, and catch opposing players as well. We had three, you know, horrible turnovers in this game. You just, it's so hard to win it at minus three in a game. And uh, so the game, it stays close because of that. But uh, the defensive guys did a great job of going out in there answering the bell. I think they got three points out of the three turnovers. So that's huge. What's also huge is the Seahawks defense is starting to look like it's following in the footsteps of the legendary Legion of Boom defense from Seattle's glory years. I feel like obviously there were some plays that we could have executed better, but um, overall to hold a team to 10 points and under 20, 250 yards, that's, um, you know, we're moving in the right direction. Arizona Diamondbacks don't want to go home yet. So they forced a seventh game in the National League Championship Series. Evan Longoria doubling in Alec Thomas. They win at 5-1 over Philadelphia. Game 7 will be tomorrow. Game 7 in the ALCS right now in the fourth inning. Texas leads Houston 8-2. There you go. All right. A couple game 7s. Major League's amazing. Thanks, Squire. Up next, a peek inside what just might be the scariest house in Metro Vancouver.
Jordan Armstrong is refreshed back from vacation <laughs> and joins us with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Jordan? Refreshed and broke probably, Chris. Thank you. <laughs> Vancouver police are reporting an extremely busy weekend of calls, including several stabbings and assaults. The violence includes a daytime stabbing near Granville and Smythe Streets. The suspect got away. There were also several bear spray attacks, one inside a coffee shop at 3 p.m. Staff and customers were overcome by the spray and treated by paramedics. We'll have more at 11. Also tonight, the latest on that distress call and search off Wreck Beach. We're now told a vessel did capsize and has been found. However, it is still unclear how many people were on board. So the search continues tonight. Chris. All right. Hoping for good news there. Thanks very much, Jordan. Well, even Freddy Krueger would be impressed by the nightmare on Ray Street, a Port Coquitlam haunt that pops up every Halloween. The homeowner's been doing this for about a decade, raising money for the food bank. And as videographer Al Cohen shows us, the thrill-seeking crowds can't get enough of it. It takes up a lot of time. It's organizing. We've got a, a crew that helps me out. They're here pretty much every day, and I'm here about 70% of the time. Between work, organizing, phone calls, shopping, adds up quick. It's, it's all worth the time. It's, it's fun doing, so you kind of lose track of time. The excitement is the fun part at the end, everyone enjoying it all. What's the scariest part? Demon jumping out of the corner. How far did you jump? We figure about maybe 35,000 come through. It's getting bigger. Word of mouth gets around, and not many displays are left. It's expensive. A lot of effort and time is put into weatherizing, making things work for Halloween. Monday to Thursday, we're open from 5 to 10 to come and enjoy this, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday to 11. Are you scared? Yeah. How scared? Like 6 out of 10. And what do you like about this house? It is so fun. I come here every year for Christmas and Halloween. We're accepting any cash donations to the Shared Food Bank, keeping that as our charitable for the last 12 years. It's daunting, so I spend a lot of time outside. The joy of doing this now has changed a bit. It's actually turned into joy now to passion. So I get three months, four months of the year to get to play around with my passion. Enjoy it every year. It gets bigger and bigger and funner. More people come. Keeps me going. I love yeah. that it was only six out of ten scary for the. For, well, the they've got really high standards, <laughs> those kids. I'm in the raw footage. I know we didn't use it, but one of the kids, when that thing came crashing down, actually said a bad word. No, I'm not going to wow. say who it was, but he did. Oh, um, it you was just fun outed to watch them. It. What's that? You just outed them. What if their mom is watching? Yeah, <laughs> there were a lot of kids there, so. We should send Christy there. She does well with haunted houses. Oh my goodness. <laughs> she won't volunteer, I've I know that. I've a little that. better in my old age though, you guys. <laughs> oh, that's good, that's good. Thanks for watching everyone. Thanks again for supporting Variety. Have a great night. Good night, all.